Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Today's episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast is brought to you by Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, Athletes Made Here. The Sports Performance Center was developed with one goal in mind, to maximize human performance through movement and recovery. Their team of expert performance sports coaches and trainers will guide you to achieve your performance goals. That's the Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, located at the Star in Frisco. This episode is also brought to you by Allen Dental Studio, located off Bethany drive in Allen. Their office was designed with you, the patient, in mind, which means an excellent and enjoyable experience. From cosmetics to implants, you deserve a perfect smile, and Allen Dental Studio can make that happen. Also, don't want to leave out another longtime friend of the podcast, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes. With locations in Carrollton and Dallas, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes offers an affordable, high-quality alternative to senior living. Call now at 469-400-7650. That's Texen, spelled T-E-X-S-E-N, Texen Senior Residential Care Homes. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by Devin Hassan, Brian Murphy, and Kendrick Johnson. we got the whole gang in the house on this Thursday afternoon. And uh, gentlemen, for the last time until, I'd say, probably around, what, May or so, we're going to talk a little high school football. If you didn't know, high school football is still very much going on this week with all of the fervor and fanfare out at AT&T Stadium for the state championship week. Brian is streaming it on his phone right now as we have a very heated game between Martin Hamlin going on that could very well decide the picket line. Hamlin's already up 7-0, man. Not looking good for you guys. So it's the first quarter. Martin just not got the ball for the first time. Um, so, yes, whereas um, you know, everybody is uh, all the, uh, the, the high school football media luminaries are going to be out of the AT&T Stadium this week. We will not be because we do not have any teams playing in the state championships well, this week. TV. Of course. But um, so nevertheless, though, we are still going to close out this uh, this um, this podcast, this coverage for high school football season the uh, the best way that we know how, and that's just simply just to kind of look back on the year that was in uh, in Texas high school football, at least within our coverage area. Obviously, uh, you know, a, a year doesn't go by where there's not a whole lot of just wild storylines and standout players and just notable talking points that emerge. Because um, yeah, Dallas area does it pretty. Uh, pretty solid on the football field and that includes our coverage area so let's look back at some of the notable storylines moments athletes games and um you know maybe a little look ahead to what to expect in 2020 wherever we want to go this is just going to kind of be our just our texas high school football year in review podcast as we bid adieu to y'all for the uh, for the holidays so um so yeah guys i wanted to start with simply just asking this question what are you guys you know in each of your respective coverage areas what are you going to remember most from uh, the 2019 high school football season locally that is Jim the Markowitz magical season mm-hmm. it came out the blue when you went when athletes surprised themselves they're doing things like the guy knew he was good he just hadn't really got the fair chance but even him 40 tubs mm-hmm. over 40 tubs 4,000 yards 
first person in MIC history to go over either one of them, and he did in the same year. Dylan Markowitz, the quarterback for, for McKinney North, and I mean, McKinney North, they always put up monstrous offensive numbers. Uh, I know, but it felt like, yeah, this year was like they somehow found a level that we didn't even think was possible as they put up, yeah, like you said, some of the biggest numbers in the history of the program and the history of the school district, and it wasn't just Markowitz. Manny Fincher, you know, had a monstrous year. J.J. Henry, you know, Brandon Frazier, Noah Ford, let's go Mart. Um, and then, let's see, then... <laughs> <laughs> Didn't take long. No. <laughs> and then, um, but yes, and yeah. So McKinney North, and you saw what it was able to, uh, you know, to uh, what it amounted to this season with them winning the first ever uh, district champ, outright uh, district uh, championship undefeated. in program history. They uh, they ran the table in seven five a division one. I mean, you know, we uh, we kind of intimated that we felt like it was going to come down to them and Mesquite Potete. Um, when um, when did you kind of get the sense, Kendrick, that this McKinney North team was capable of parlaying this this monstrous offense? Because early in the season there was you know some really like rocky up and down scores because of the defense. When did you get the sense that this team was like a bona fide district championship level program? Oh, oh. Well, for, first of all, Johnson Thomas told y'all that in, in, in August. I he retired that. In the preseason, I told you in the preseason. But what I officially knew was when they beat John Tyler in a, a monsoon at MIC Stadium on a Thursday night mm-hmm. where they had everything but a, a lightning delay. Yeah. And um, that that was a game because um, John Tyler is defending district champions. Yeah. As Devin knows, they always got speed. Had a kid go for 330 and a loss. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so the fact that they finally went to beat them, the defending district champions mm-hmm. and gangs, they have always been competitive. Like last year, they went to Rose Stadium and fumbled at the two. So the fact that they got the W, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this team can do something. And their defense improved steadily each year. They're from giving up 60 points twice in non district. That's crazy. To, mm-hmm. They gave up below uh, 34. District. I feel like as far as the most notable uh, thing to emerge from your coverage area, Brian, that's probably a pretty uh, pretty obvious <laughs> guess. So, um, but nevertheless, yeah, just talk about what was what are you going to remember this season for? Kendrick said something that stood out though. Okay, he said lightning delays. Remember last year, the <laughs> oh. first two months of the year, so many games. Don't remind played. me, man. That was the worst. <laughs> the weather this year was pretty good. Yeah. Well, yeah, we so got off easy this year. Yeah, I think one weekend. I had, I had a game that got, got rescheduled. I mean, well, uh, oh, Zoom. McKinney the and uh, uh, yeah, McKinney. The plan of the play the next day, but yeah, no, I, I didn't really have any issues with no. with weather this I year. I didn't have any either. Um, such a far cry from last year, which every week early in the season it was sure. two hour delay here, you know, cancellation here there. Come back on Saturday. Yeah, yeah it was bad. Goodness. It was bad. The thing that's going to stick out the most, obviously, week three, Highlander Stadium, Lone Star beating Highland Park. Mm-hmm. For the first time, Highland Park lost for the first time at home to a team from Texas since 1998. Uh, you know, I was in high school there. Wow! <laughs> I, had ju- I had just moved to Texas then. Oh, I was in second grade. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, going into that game, you know, Lone Star, you know, there was some hype with them. They they were two and zero. Highland Park, three time defending state champions. Everyone knows about them. Mm-hmm. You know, no one can beat Highland Park at, at Highlander Stadium and yada yada yada. And it was kind of Lone Star's coming out party. You know, they beat. You know, they beat them pretty good. Marvin Mims scores on the first play of the game. By the way, speaking of Marvin Mims, shattering records all season long. One of the all-time great seasons ever for a high school football receiver in Texas. Ever. One, you know, one of the best offensive seasons, you know, really for anyone, you know, breaking national records as well. Mm-hmm. Had over 2,600 receiving yards this year. That is just absurd. Over 30 touchdowns. <laughs> um, you know, he had a big game. He had two big games against Highland Park this year. But, you know, that, that week three win, you know, beating them by double digits and kind of putting themselves on the mat, you know, as, as as a legitimate, you know, five A powerhouse. Yeah, another, another thing. Did we tell people he was a price of admission? 
Him and Miles Price. Remember in the Miles Price, thing? man. It, uh, I'm just saying we t- we told people that you had to watch Mims and Price. Yep. They didn't they didn't disappoint this year. I saw Miles Price return two kickoffs for a touchdown against Wakeland <laughs> this year. And Why I, did you kick to him, Wakeland? I was like, stop kicking Miles Price. Why? He d- he doesn't even need any space. I, I saw him catch a a, t- a touchdown against uh, Reedy in double coverage mm-hmm. where he just brings it in, jumped like eight feet in the air and. <laughs> Hauled it in the sideline and, and walked it in. That's another thing. I want to talk about Reedy. Yeah. The fall of, of Reedy, man. Last year they go you know, thir- uh, 13 and 1. They make four rounds deep, lose to Alito, gave Alito everything they had in the yeah. fourth round. And they graduated everybody. And, um, you know, prior to the season, Coach Chad Cole said, hey, this Frisco Reedy football team for the first time ever is. Overrated, and we were just like, okay, he's just. But it's unique because you never hear a coach actually say that yeah. word in any sort of interview context. And they were very overrated, just based off what they'd done the year before. That was a brand new team. The only returning starters were really were Nate Anderson and Will Harbor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Will Harbor is great; was the reigning district MVP the year ago, <laughs> the year before. But you can, one man can only do so much yeah. in, in football. football. This isn't basketball or baseball. You know, this is football. You need a, a, an entire team. But do you think it's the annuity of the program? Because the program's not even five years old. No, it? no, but it's the bar was set tough. so high the year before. And so gotcha. and it was kind of tough seeing Reedy, you know, them barely even squeaking into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It looked like they weren't even going to make the playoffs. And uh, luckily they got in last week of the year. So it was kind of weird to see, you know, Reedy kind of go back to this. Which, if it was a lot of other programs, they had a fine year making the playoffs. For sure. Some big wins. They went to Denison and won a road win. And got well, a road was that win. ever a big win? Yeah. 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 So ultimately got them yeah. in the playoffs in, what, week five or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, any other team or most other teams, that's a good year. But for Reedy, coming off a trip to um, the fourth round of the playoffs, it was kind of like, yeah, this isn't so good. It's just kind of the give and take of, you know, kind of being a young program because that's like they graduated just such a such a great senior class and that's part of the the uh, one of the aspects of being able to build a sustainable program is being able to overcome something like that. And it was such uncharted waters. You had so many kids there in that first game against Plano West that were getting their first real like substantive taste of the uh, of the varsity spotlight. And like I said, they had their I mean, like they almost beat Frisco. You know, they almost beat uh, you know, most Lovejoy, two teams that went to the playoffs as well. Um, so again, but nevertheless, it was. It's just. I mean, at the end of the day, they they still got to the playoffs. They still, you know, finished above 500 and whatnot. It's just, yeah. I mean, just when you're coming off the heels of a 13 win season or whatever it was, I mean, it's, that's just a high bar to top. And but now again, they've. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Reedy's still going to be pretty solid going forward, though. Yeah, they have a bunch of guys yeah. coming back. We'll see. Kitna, Paget, they have two, mm-hmm. you know, quarterbacks getting D1 looks. Still, they should be. They should be back in the playoffs this year. They both split up a lot of time this year, but it was kind of weird to see, you know, Kitna, Jalen Kitna, son of, you know, quarterback's coach or Cowboys quarterback's coach, John Kitna, former NFL player. Um, You know, he's got offers from, you know, D1 programs like Boston College and stuff like that. But then they also have a guy named A.J. Padgett who got a lot of playing time. It's like guys that didn't really have a lot of playoff, really varsity experience Mm -hmm. in general uh, at the 5A level here in Texas, you know, with with Josh Foskey kind of running the show the last literally three years Mm -hmm. for for Reedy, but they, they, I think Reedy should be improved. Even though they graduate Nate Anderson, headed to OU, yeah. and Will Harbor headed to Navy, and, and guys like that, they they got a lot of guys that got their feet wet this year. So Reedy, mm-hmm. they'll they'll be back soon enough. Devin, how about the uh, the East Dallas County corridor with Garland ISD and Mesquite ISD and whatnot? What was the biggest thing you're taking away from your uh, your latest year of high school football coverage? Well, something that won't be answered until next year. But was there a changing of the guard, okay. so to speak? Um, you had. Two of the longest playoff streaks, playoff appearances mm-hmm. uh, come to an end. Rowlett had the Garland ISD record. Uh, they hadn't missed the playoffs since 2005. 
14 years in a row. When you think about those long stretches of Garland being really good, and I mean, every every GIC team has had runs over mm. the course, if you look at the history. Well, Rowlett's was the longest ever, and that streak comes to an end um, in somewhat dramatic fashion on the final day of the regular season. And then Horn, um, they had made it 11 years in a row, and that was the longest streak in Mesquite ISD history, and Horn falls short of the playoffs. So you bet, you know, you take into account Garland ISD and Mesquite ISD, two school districts that have been around for quite some time. For sure. And, um, you have the two longest uh, playoff streaks come to an end, and so you look at it: is that just an aberration, or is that si- you know is that you know I guess signify something in the future mm-hmm. as you know Rowlett and Horner are going to be battling back to get to the status that they've shared for the last decade? You know, again, that, those questions will be answered next year, but uh, it certainly sets up for a different offseason for both mm-hmm. programs as they, as they have more questions to answer than they do you know have in the years past. The Horn one was uh, that still surprises me, just because the only exposure I got to them was covering that game against Mesquite, where they beat them by three touchdowns. Touchdowns and just look just worlds better than the Skeeters, and then just to see how how con- how much of a contrast they, uh, they those two programs went yeah. from that night is still surprising to me. Yeah, Horn, you know, yeah, they battled some injuries. That you know they came out and they stomped John Tyler in the first game of the season, yeah. beat him thirty nine to seventeen. And then, like you mentioned, they had no problems, you know, with Mesquite, a Mesquite team that went on to make the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, and they just couldn't really put it together. They they struggled finding consistency on offense. They they had some injury issues. Injuries were a big big issue for all the Mesquite mm-hmm. ISD teams this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just kind of lost it, and, and down the stretch, and again, that was a that was a very very good district with Longview and Rockwall. So you know, in games like that, there's very little wiggle room. But um, but yeah, it was just one of those seasons where you know it just kind of snowballed on them in terms of the bad things going going downhill. Having sixty yard touchdown for Hamlin <laughs> as you finish that sentence. Not worried about it. <laughs> Me, on the other hand. Um, yeah, because you think of like you know what it took though for like a team like Rowlett to miss the playoffs, and I gotta, I mean, just in hindsight, dude, have you ever covered a district quite like what Ten Six A had this year? Well, it was just the moving pieces on that final day. Not just who's in and out of the playoffs, but who's going to what mm-hmm. division and how it would affect seeding. I mean, it all came down to that final day. Um, and it was fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, you see that from time to time. Uh, you know, the way, especially when you're talking about the one thing that didn't really have over in ten six eight was the point differential aspect yeah. of it. And that's what you've seen in a lot of districts coming down in a lot of these playoff races is when so and so has to win or it can lose, but they can only lose by so many points. That's what it gets really interesting. Oh, yeah. And you, you know, because especially in the second half of those games, you start. You, why? Why are they making the decision to this? Why are they kicking a field goal right here? Why are they? And it's all about point differential. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're on the phone, or you know, they're talking to people at their scouts at other at other stadiums. Okay, this is now here we are. Now we're neg- negative five. Here now we're plus three. You know, so it wasn't anything in terms of point differential, but yeah, in terms of moving parts, ten six a was a lot of fun this year. And Rowlett just happened to be mm-hmm. the odd man out. For me, um, you know, it was kind of an abbreviated year for my coverage compared to years past. Um, you know, Allen, you know, is usually a you know a shoe in to get to the state semifinals. Which they'd, they'd, uh, done seven straight years prior to the season. They still, you know, in the regular season, they go undefeated for the eighth straight year, but bow out in the second round to Rockwall in what was just an absolute classic out of the AT&T Stadium. Uh, Plano ISD did not offer a whole lot in terms of real, like, real fervent winning football. They combined for just seven wins between the three high schools this season. Officer Taylor, Taylor called. Yeah. And then, um, but you 
had then over in the private school ranks. The last team standing of my coverage this season was none other than John Paul II. We all predicted that. Of course. Right? <laughs> and I just, that's, that's going to be, again, the most you know, notable takeaway from me this season is just the, uh, the, the coming out party for John Paul football, finally. And just I think back to, like, you know, just all the years covering this, uh, you know, this John Paul program. You know, we'd get back to the office every Friday night. We'd be putting in scores into the playbook, and I'd be looking up, and, oh, John Paul lost by 45 again. I mean, it's a program that has just fallen on such tough times for so many years. Even so much as getting a district win, they went a whole decade without doing so. Um, you know, even so much as winning, like, multiple games in a season was such a chore for them. Um, and then, you know, to see what that program has come from, you know, with, uh, I mean, not just, I mean, they're a few years removed from a 33-game losing streak in multiple 0-10 seasons, and you, I mean, you're seeing right now with Plano West the kind of toll that that can have on a program and on kids and whatnot. So then to see the, uh, you know, where they've come under uh, under head coach George Teague to where they turned in their best season ever this year by any estimation. And it was something that you kind of got a sense of over the summer. You know, I, uh, I try not to ever read too much into 7-on-7 seven seven because it's not actual football. But just seeing things like John Paul competing in these these state qualifying tournaments against other like Class 5A and Class 6A teams and just athletically looking the part. And you kind of got a sense right then and there that, okay, this this year might be a little bit different because that was just always the thing that held them back compared to the, the Preston Woods and the Duns and the Bishop Lynches and whatnot is just those teams were, I mean, those teams had like full-blown Division One prospects and whatnot. And John Paul just never had that caliber of talent. So they finally closed the gap this year. It was just about kind of harnessing the the mental side of things because you got to see even like despite all of their talent once again going back to seven on seven they get to the taps state seven on seven tournament and they have like a, they finished like a game over 500 they had some they just weren't like they were really really up and down despite again all that talent that they have so there was still a little bit of work to be done so this is a permanent change you said. i think that it's i mean i think that it's something that is here to to stay just because again you look at how young that team is and how they only have like 10 seniors on this roster but then they go and they carry it over into the season and like i think the fact that they played like when they played Prestonwood as close as they did they lost 22 to 10 which i mean in years past that's a game that they've lost by you know 60 to 70 points you know and then the uh, you know the job that they did beating both bishop dunn and bishop lynch including going to 11 overtimes and falling just shy of a national record in that uh, 39, 37, something, so 37, 35, something silly like that. Um, you know, but then they kind of really legitimized themselves as at the very least, like, okay, they can hang with these teams now at the very least. You don't know what it means in the playoffs, but they've at least shown they can hang with these teams for a change. Then they go out and they, you know, they grind out a tough one over San Antonio Central Catholic. And then, I mean, you're thinking, okay, they got their first ever playoff win. Cool. Mission accomplished. Awesome season. They're not done there. They go and just beat the brakes off of undefeated Fort Worth Nolan. They they go into the state semis. They run through San Antonio Antonian um, because I mean to get to the, the most improbable state championship game birth of any team that I've ever covered. Um, you know that was where it ended, though. I mean Parish Episcopal was kind of the uh, the team du jour this season in taps, and they took care of business in that state championship game with uh, with Preston Stone and that uh, that army of uh, of standout players. But um, nevertheless, though, I mean it was it was a, a hallmark year to remember for John Paul II. And like I said, McKinley Christian. No, no, they're they're taps. Division One or oh, whatnot yet? Yeah, yeah. They're with Preston Wood and Lynch and Dunn and all them. Um, and like I said, they're they're still a really young team at the heart of it. Like a lot of their better players are you know juniors and sophomores and whatnot. So it's a program that's they're just getting started over there at JP two. This was not some lightning in the bottle run that they had. And you know, um, I mean, Taps is going to be loaded again next year for sure, and it'll be uh, easier said than done. But at the very least, now John Paul has put themselves in that conversation, which you uh, you know you couldn't say beforehand. So yeah, that was I mean that's what I'm taking away from this season. If you had asked me at the start of the year if that was going to be anywhere close to being on my radar 
Nope, not even close, man. But what a year for John Paul, man. Some uh, some big things happening out at JP2. Um, well, we're, uh, let's see. You know, we uh, we often do our uh, you know when we're voting on all our, on our uh, all area team, we'll uh, devote an episode of the podcast to doing what we call our uh, our cutting room floor wars and just kind of taking just random off the beaten path stuff that uh, you know doesn't make the cut, and um, we'll kind of hash that out. And one of the things we always talk about, like some of the better games that we've covered. I was curious when you guys think back, what are like some of the the memorable games that you remember covering this season? I'm for you, and I, I gotta imagine that, uh, you know, whether it was the um, that two day game between Plano and McKinney, that's one that immediately jumps to mind. Um, McKinney and Jesuit. Yeah, because nobody saw that happening. Yeah. And uh, um, then looking back on how both that both team trajectory changed that night in a good way. Usually, mm-hmm. it's like one or the other, or they both go down. Like both teams went up that night. Yeah. Because. Uh, Jesuit, well, did they changed what they did and got better and went on a run. McKinney was this close to going 3D. Mm-hmm. Popsicle Shavers in the first playoff went since 1993. I forgot to put that in there. It's one of the top things that happened in the McKinney market because you went in drought to go over two decades. That's a long time. Man, you talk about a program that has been just flying close to the sun these couple years under Coach Shavers, man. I mean, they, they overcame an 0-5 start last year to make the playoffs. They started off 3 3 in district this year. Yeah, I know. You lose the head-to-head to Plano, so already you're thinking like, okay, now we have to finish ahead of Plano and obviously took a, a pretty wild chain reaction of events to make that happen but nevertheless McKinney got in the playoffs they got a heck of a way to win their first playoff game in you know over two decades with that game winning field goal by Seth Cox to beat Naaman Force they almost beat Waco Midway had a, had a yeah, yeah. six on the last final job of the season mm-hmm. basically with a minute left and they're uh, and they're loaded for next year. Oh yeah, they're another team. Yeah, there's a lot of sophomores that were getting run this year, and they're going to be uh, they're going to be sticking around for sure. And another game that was to me that was uh, undercover was uh, the 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 John Tyler McKinney North game because okay. that was a swing game because Devin Devin knows because um, that district was so top heavy that a game or lost there would have changed. it. When you say had they lost, it would have been completely different. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for uh, for me the game that uh, you know stood out um, in my coverage area. You know I got to do a lot of uh, you know beyond just covering the Plano and Allen schools. I got to do a lot of work in our Denton County markets, and that led to getting to you know do things like see Argyle you know in person for the uh, you know one of the one of the few times I've been able to cover Argyle. And they had a game in the uh, I believe it was just the uh, just the second round of the playoffs against uh, Stephenville that, I mean, a game that, you know, I mean, those are two programs you typically think of, you know, programs that are accustomed to making deep playoff runs. You know, Argyle had won this game by, uh, I think it was like, what, five, six touchdowns earlier in the season. And then them and uh, Stephenville, man, this was, uh, this game just became an unexpected classic there in the second half with just t- touchdown after touchdown, just big play after big play. I mean, you saw just some, uh, some football performances that just like, it's like fantasy football numbers that were put up by the Argyle offense. Yeah, I remember I had your tweets on notification because oh, yeah. I, was, I was pretty intrigued. I was like, man, what's going on? Stephen might actually do this. Like, Wait, hold on. And I turned it on like second, third quarter. I was like, whoa. Like Argyle was like they were playing with the lead for most of the game, but Stephenville just wouldn't go away. They would you know work themselves out of a third and long with some crazy big some crazy big play. They had a special teams block that was returned for a touchdown that tied the game up at I think forty two forty two. But then you got to see I mean the Bohoga Boom Cole Kirkpatrick connection, the quarterback and receiver for Argyle has been just so potent this season. 
and you got to see, I mean, it was as impressive as it's looked all year. You had Hogaboon that had eight touchdown passes in that game, five of them to Kirkpatrick, including like in the second half when, again, they just could not fend off Stephenville. So whenever they needed a big play, just throw it up to Cole Kirkpatrick and he'll go get it and he'll do incredible Cole Kirkpatrick stuff. And um, yeah, it led to a game that, I mean, I was going in there kind of expecting it to be a, okay, Argyle's probably going to win this game pretty handily and won't have a, you know, won't be a whole lot to really, uh, you know, write about in that regard. I wasn't thinking I'd get maybe the best game that I'd seen all year. And yeah, it was a, a very unexpected uh, surprise there between Argyle and Stephenville in the second round of the playoffs. We have our first state championship official review. Oh, wow. Uh, Smart stopped on fourth and goal at the goal line. It's did close. He, did he, oh. did he, are you watching it too? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I just, I just have it on the Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, I, I saw, I'm looking at it. I'm, I'm not actually streaming it. <laughs> I'm doing both. I'm look, my stream's kind of behind, but yeah, so we have a first official review. I don't think he got that. Interesting. Highline didn't move, I don't think. No. Well, while they review that, <laughs> how about a, a double overtime you know, thriller yeah, to, pretty, host, <laughs> to host a, a playoff game in the first round? Uh, what I'm talking about is the Colony and Frisco Independence. Yeah. Um, you know, late in the season, 5-5A, Division mm-hmm. One. You know, we all knew Lone Star was going to be number one. And then two through four was like, all right, well – how are we going to play this? How are we going to do? How are we going to figure this out? Are we? Who's going to avoid? Who's going to have a, a little easier path the first couple rounds of the playoffs too? And well, Independence, you know, they they held on in, in double overtime. You know, you saw in the first overtime, both extra points were blocked. You know, so the Colony they had the ball first, they score, and the kick is blocked. And I'm like, oh my gosh! You know, Independence scores immediately after. You know, like four plays in the first overtime. And I'm like, here it is. Independence is about to win. Kick blocked. Mm. And uh, so then Independence gets the ball to be in the second overtime. I'd never seen that before. I'd asked Rudy Rangel and Coach Story after the game, have you ever witnessed anything like that? Not only going to overtime, which regulation was crazy in mm. itself, and then to have both kicks blocked, and they said no. Nothing like that has ever happened, <laughs> at least to me. Um, um, but, yeah, and then so then the colony gets stopped um, after actually no, so Independence gets the ball back, gets gets the ball first in the second overtime. They score, kick is not blocked. Mm. The Colony then gets the ball, then throw an interception mm. in the end zone. So it, it was wild. The Colony had a 24 to 14 lead in the second half of this game. In the fourth quarter, I should mind you, they had a 10 point lead. Independence goes on um, and scores 17 unanswered. The Colony actually kicked. Uh, they actually tied the game with a Miles Price touchdown with eight seconds left to force overtime. So this this game was just so back and forth. So mm-hmm. it was, the fourth quarter was really dramatic in itself, and then to go into that first overtime with both teams getting their their extra points blocked, it was it was a wild game. And then we saw the Colony was faced to you know forced to face Lancaster in the first round. They were one and done. Yeah, and Independence had, got to avoid that, got to host a playoff game, go three rounds deep, and in the in the process, Frisco ISD. Had three different teams go three yeah. rounds deep for the first time ever. Yeah, those two, and then Frisco with just a nice little. Uh, I mean, the best year. Oh, I mean, when do you think the last time is that Frisco high school football had a uh, year quite like? So I was looking up on Max Preps, and their records only go back. Yeah, the records only go back like the last fifteen years. So it's been their best year since at least two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, two years ago, this was an zero and ten team. You know, and then coming into this year, Frisco High. 
their, their last the year, the raccoons, their last year with the the rest of the Frisco teams, and then when they split five A in Division One, Division Two, when they split Frisco in Division One, Division Two, really. they do a rezoning because zoning makes a big difference. Yeah, Frisco was kind of getting you know screwed a little bit from rezoning. Yeah. They lost a lot of players. Yeah. They had one of the smallest enrollments in all of Frisco. It's when they build so many schools, yeah. and then it just it takes away from. And you're right in the middle. More than two, it's like even McKinney. Since I've gotten to McKinney, mm-hmm. every day they had rezoned the year, but I started covering the McKinney schools, and since then you can see Boyd from across the board from school. Like they used to be state caliber in volleyball, and they're really good. Yeah. They're good. State caliber in soccer, they're good. Football playoff below average. Just, just kind of level out the playing field between the three schools. schools. So yeah. That with district and those people, mm-hmm. the politics people be messing these schools up. I hope that what they do, but it makes a big yeah. difference. In the mid two thousand, the mid. Part of this decade, you know, 15, 16, 17, Frisco took a big hit because yeah. you think, you know, they're really good. Schools. Yeah, when you think, okay, the early part of the decade, their football teams were pretty good. You know, their volleyball teams were really, really good. Yeah. You know, the other teams that were pretty good. And then now it's like they took a huge hit, you know, losing kids to Reedy, losing kids to Lebanon Trail, losing kids to Wake all over the place, you know, over the last decade. And, I mean, to see them, you know, bounce back and make the playoffs last year and then win the district this year, go three rounds deep this year also, it's really impressive. Well, yeah, was the first-year head coach in, in Jeff Harbour. Uh, uh, um, the saying, uh, your, your, your other viewership is about to go through that, your readership. Prosper. It's yeah. coming. It's they, coming. They just set the bar <laughs> super high, but they now have Rock Hill opening next yeah. year. And they got the two schools after that. Yes. Right? They're about to go through the same thing. And, and, you, and you can see, you, you know, Frisco made it three rounds deep in 2011, 2012, 2013. Yeah. But and then, after yeah. the feels open, and you see, you, see it, you see it yeah. in every school district, but especially one, a school district that is just growing. I mean, an opening high school after high school. I mean, a lot of these school districts, you'll see it. Open a high school, wait six or seven years, maybe open a new high school. No, Frisco does it every six or seven months. <laughs> I mean, it's. <laughs> I think they just opened one right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I've had, I've been incredibly lucky the last few years. Even my expected stinkers turned out to be some really great games that went down to the wire. This year was about the exact opposite of that. Even when I had a high-profile matchup, like it just didn't turn into, well, even last week. What high-profile <laughs> did you have, Jeffrey? I mean, but Poteet, McKinney North, West Mesquite, McKinney North, games like that, you know, Seth McGowan goes, goes out, you know, stuff like that. The one exception, the one game that actually did live up to the hype in terms of being memorable was the Hammer Bowl with Rowlett and Saxe. Um, yeah. You know, we, we talked a little bit about That's the funny. playoff implications, um, you know, going in um, or just, you know, in that final day of the How regular season. How long has it been since the Hammerleys were even the principals at Saxe and Rowlett? It's been a little while, and but they still, they still the come Hammer out Bowl? to the game. Well, yeah, they really? were there when it started. They had the trophy. They got everything. It's going to be the Hammer Bowl. Yeah, they got a hammer on it. They the trophy every year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They trade it. Whoever gets, so he, gets he, the hammer. He, 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 you'll learn that history. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he never won the hammer. Ball. <laughs> <laughs> we were terrible in the, around the late 2000s. Yeah. But you know, these were two teams who had really struggled offensively all season long, which has been uncharacteristic mm-hmm. for what they've been. But they they've saved their best for the final game of the regular season because Rylett jumps out 14 nothing. Saxe comes back and takes the 18-14 lead at the half. They go back and forth in the third quarter. They continue it in the fourth quarter. Uh, they combine for 36 points. Um, Rylett scores a touchdown with 21 seconds left. Keep in mind, we're, we're thinking this is for playoff seeding at the time. 
because they came in as the mm-hmm. top two. They had been both been going Division One. We've called it the Avoid Allen Bowl in years past. <laughs> so the seeding was a big deal. Well, they didn't know what was going on across mm-hmm. the way at HBJ either with Naaman Force and Lakeview in a game a lot of people thought Lakeview would win handily. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not going according to plan as Naaman Force was actually ahead of Lakeview. So Rylette scores again, 21 seconds left to cut it to 42 to 40. They have to go for two in the tie. Uh, Saxy uh, defense comes through, stuffs the run. And they're able to recover the onside kick, run out the clock. So, Saxy gets it. They're going to be the number one seed in Division One. Rallis going to have to settle for Division One. Well, at, as they're shaking hands uh, after the game, Naaman Forrest scores and then has a pick six late to stun Lakeview Whoa. and win that game. And that puts Naaman Forrest into the playoffs. Knocks Rowlett out, knocks Saxy from the number one seed in Division One to Division Two to have to play play mm-hmm. Allen in the first round. So for Rowlett, it was just a double gut punch because in a matter of minutes, he went from having a chance to make the playoffs and be the top seed in Division One to being left out altogether for the first time in 15 years. Um, and, and then you're you know just and then with Saxy, obviously you go from okay, we're in the playoffs and we're going to be able to host a playoff mm-hmm. game to you know we got to go to Eagle Stadium. But you know that game, like I say, it was just back and forth all night long, really entertaining, um, and, and just one of the few. But again, it's always extra special because it's a rivalry game and because those two fan bases are the two of the largest, two of the most, you know, active out there. So they always draw good crowds. And so it was just, it was a fun night um, in a season where, like I say, a lot of games kind of fell flat from mm-hmm. a entertainment, from a, you know, from that standpoint. When you talk to Rollin after the game, did they have any idea what the name and score was? Oh, yeah. They knew? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, don't need to. During that game, because that game was crazy between Saxe and Rollett, they, they had people keeping up with the name and score on the sideline? They're, they're still, you know, relaying it. And, and those coaches are coming out. You know, they got the live feed because we were watching it, you know, mm-hmm. um, in press box. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're, well, they're well aware of what's going on, especially if it's going to have an outcome on it. So when did they find out they weren't going to make the playoffs? <clears throat> on the right. field, right? Literally, they told the players, right, as as, right after the handshake line, they came back and said, by the way, name and course. That's when tier season began? Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's, but you know these, these day and age. I mean some of these players though they 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 can get on there. I mean we've talked about it before. These players are tweeting their highlights at halftime sometimes, depending yeah. on the program what coaches allow it. So you don't think they're jumping on their phone right after the game yeah. looking to see that what, is what, crazy. What? Like bro, I just tweeted that touchdown like ten minutes ago. tweeted <laughs> <laughs> Or some of these kids they start getting a little little buzz. They got somebody, a family member, mm. girlfriend, or somebody. I suggest you're not doing that. Have <laughs> doing that in the middle of the game. What's well, like when you have NBA stars doing it? Like Luca the other night. He tweeted great W against the Bucks, and the Bucks started coming back, and he deleted the tweet. And then after the game, he tweeted again and put a bunch of laughs. So, I mean, they're, when they're doing it, of course, kids are good. At least he's not doing it from the bench during the third quarter. Yeah, at least he was in Dallas. I don't think he was there. No, he was in Dallas yeah, in the yeah, game. So, but if he, it wasn't like he was, you know, subbed out, and he got immediately yeah, got on and started yeah. tweeting. So. Yeah, Today's podcast is brought to you by Star Local Media, 14 newspapers and websites with a print distribution of 270,000 homes and monthly page views of 600,000 online. Star Local Media, your community voice for news. And now, let's get back to the podcast. One of the uh, one of the big storylines just from this season that you know I was talking about Plano ISD earlier and how again on the field it was kind of a it was a rough year for Plano ISD they missed the playoffs as a, as a school district for the first time in 30 years yes. but um, earlier in the season um, you know you talk about just major stories that developed and ones that kind of came completely out of the blue you know as I'm putting together my uh, you know every every time at the end of the year we always do our top 10 sports stories for each of our yeah. specific markets and you know as I'm just running down the list of candidates for uh, for Plano this year there's no question this is number one 
and this is the story, uh, the saga between Plano ISD and the uh, in the football game in week two between Plano Senior High School and El Paso Eastwood, a game that took on a uh, a scope and a level of significance that nobody could have seen coming. I mean, you talk about one of the crazier 24-hour news cycles in my time on this job, and I still remember where I was. You know, that afternoon I was out shooting a um, you know a volleyball tournament out in Northwest ISD when I get the uh, the email with the press release from Plano ISD saying that they've canceled the game between Plano and Eastwood, and just I'm just uh, like having to process that for a quick second because like you know you knew the game was happening, and obviously you know we knew beforehand the uh, the matchup with you know obviously the the events that happened over the summer with the, sh- the shooting up in El Paso and you know the proximity of the Walmart where it took place to the Eastwood campus and how that community in, speci- in, in particular was really you know impacted by that and then you find out later on that it was um you know it was the the shooting was done by a former Plano senior high school student but at no point did it you know dawn on me that like huh maybe they'll cancel the game <laughs> not because at the surface you're thinking like no this would be a really you know unique chance to kind of bring these two communities together and for Plano to really kind of help you know these El Paso folks kind of cope with what's got to be a really really trying time so when you get word that they've canceled the game for uh, you know for unspecified security reasons and whatnot um, and safety concerns um, you know you look at just what kind of the the trickle-down effect from that and I mean you talk about you know a school district getting raked over the coals and just taking it you know just from from all comers I mean the entire state was was coming at Plano ISD for this decision and just ripping them to shreds for just the uh, you know how could you you know how could you do this to the you know to these El Paso kids I mean you know this is a chance for again like they're going through such a tough time and there's a chance for you to you know to take them in and you know, just really kind of give them something to really kind of help them cope with this and instead you're you know, you're shutting them out and whatnot it was it was a really rough 24 hours for Plano ISD and I mean you know as we're trying to report on it I mean the school district was it was like trying to penetrate Fort Knox and nobody's saying anything around there about this and then um you know 24 hours later you know Frisco ISD is uh, you know comes to, to save the day and they end up getting the game relocated to the star you know Plano ISD was on board with uh, you know having the game played indoors in a closed venue and um, yeah so just like that I mean this game but I Obviously, I mean, the I don't say the damage had been done, but already now you've put the spotlight on this game that there wasn't beforehand. And I mean, you think about just the the events that then led up to this game because you know not only is the game getting relocated, it's now going to be broadcast throughout the entire state. Got I, national attention. Oh yeah, it got national attention. Beto O'Rourke, a presidential candidate, was tweeting you know about this and whatnot and saying like because they wanted then if they were going to play the game in Plano, you know El Paso folks were like, come play the game over here. You know, we're, we're let's go to the scene of the crowd. Yeah, we're more than happy to have y'all play over here. And Plano was, nope, we don't want to do that. And I mean, so yeah, this game took on national. It was a national news story for a, you know for a moment. And um, but then you see like you know when the game is finally rebooked and it's still going on. Then I go out to you know the high school to do a uh, feature story leading up to the game. I get there and there's you know like there there are TV cameras that are flanking the sidelines during their practice. I've got to go on you know me and uh, I've got to go talk with a couple of the, uh, the the football team's captains and Coach McCullough's office. I'm being flanked by a reporter from the from USA Today who's doing a story on it. I mean, the attention that this game had was just, it, it was unlike anything that Plano ISD football has, has seen since maybe like Rex Burkhead was on campus back in the late 2000s. So it's kind of like in a roundabout way, you know, this... Uh, 
you know, this, uh, this debacle on Plano ISD's end wound up putting more of a uh, more attention on, uh, on their football program than anything that's happened in, you know, in, in forever. And, um, you know, and, and then at the game, obviously, it was, you know, there was a big to-do with, you know, okay, what are we going to, how are the teams going to handle things pre-game and whatnot? What sort of gestures and shows of sportsmanship and unity are you going to see? And you had a very cool deal where, like, you know, both teams and their entireties came out to midfield for the coin toss. And then during the anthem, you had them all standing side by side. Side, you know, kind of locked arms and whatnot. And it was a really, it was a really, really cool moment and whatnot. And you could see afterwards the real sense of uh, the, the emotional impact that it had on those El Paso folks and their coach, Julio Lopez. And I mean, and Coach McCullough was, you know, having to, you could tell it really hit him hard. And it was, it really did wind up being a really cool occasion. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a story that, I mean, I said that game just took on a level of significance <laughs> that I was, uh, nobody was anticipating heading into the end of the start of the season. Um, you know, so there was that. When you guys think now, um, if we can, I guess, close this out then with a look, I guess, maybe a little bit down the road to 2020. What are we, um, how are we kind of feeling about the state of things for our respective uh, markets heading into the 2020 football season? Uh, February is going to be very key. Yes. Because yes. we have realignment coming because up in the... There's a lot of teams, like somebody like North, they're poised if they get in the right situation, like they can make a run in several sports. Mm-hmm. And for state, like soccer, uh, baseball... Uh, down there, about to have a crew from a um, middle school crew that's going to come in and wreck shop and girls basketball mm-hmm. for their positioning to be from like a really good program to what's that trophy called? Lone Star Cup? Yeah, to being up in that mix. That's really? That's a big thing. Um, then for the McKinney schools, I don't know if they can get away from the bullies. <laughs> it's, it's, it seems unlikely. If they were in any district but that, because like, it's like I think they would be like sweeping across the board, but. In the day in the bully district, <laughs> Devin, how do you? It's, yeah, I was, was going to yeah. say, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier with Rowlett Horns playoff streaks being. I, I think next year is, is a bounce back year yeah. in terms of that's the way most, except for Mesquite, who's ten, who's seems to be trending up. You know, making the playoffs, making it to the second mm-hmm. round this year. Uh, they return a really good group. Uh, Coach Fleener really has thing that program rolling. But Petite, West Mesquite, Rowlett. Mm-hmm. Horn, North Mesquite, they all had losing records this yeah. year. Saxe struggled more than Saxe struggled in, in several years, just, you know, didn't have quite the star power that, they, that they've had in years past. So, you know, next year is, is really, I think it's, it's kind of getting back on track for a lot of these teams. Um, you know, and in, in the case of like the North Mesquite, you know, are they turning the corner? And the, they, all these teams have had coaching changes within the last three years, or a lot of them have. You know, Horn, North Mesquite, Poteet, West Mesquite will have a new coach here, mm-hmm. you know, upcoming. And so, you know, it takes it takes a while to get that system in place and to get you know the program the way that you want it to as a head coach. Um, but you know, there's just there's. A, Again, as I talked about earlier, there's more questions than answers right now, and we won't know anything. Mm-hmm. A lot of these, a lot about a lot of these uh, teams until next August. Prosper, <laughs> set the ball really high. Yeah, man. I there, and you know, there's a chance they can avoid you know Allen and that Jesuit district again potentially. You know, who knows? Maybe they'll go in there with Little Elm and Braswell and the West side of things. Who knows? But you know, they bring back Jackson Berry, they bring back Tyler Bailey. You know, that's a dynamic duo to have offensively. Um, like I said, you know, now that standard is set, mm-hmm. you know, it's you know they'll be better prepared for those those district games, and you know the fact that they made it, you know, that playoff run after losing the way they did to Jesuit and Allen, that just shows you know how they can how well coached they are and how how much of a quality program that is. And I think they're they're poised for another great year. Then when you look in Frisco, Lone Star, they should still be the favorites in however way they pair that 
part of Frisco, mm-hmm. the the Vision One, you know, with the Centennials and Independences and, and whatnot. Speaking of Independence, I think they could they could threaten a team like Lone Star next year with Lone Star and graduating Marvin Mims, graduating Jalen Ford, graduating Tor Pittman, graduating a bunch of the defensive line, all mm-hmm. the guys that are going to play D one college football. You know, Jake Bogdan, they're graduating a bunch of guys, but you know, they still bring back Garrett Rangel. They yeah. still have you know they still have a lot of their offensive line coming back. They, It'll be interesting to see how much of a drop off Lone Star has next year. They're still going to be a, a, a great team, one of the best, but not the best. Yeah, I, I'm not saying they're going to drop like Reedy because mm-hmm. that was that was a drop, you know, where they graduate everyone. But I, you know, is Lone Star going to be the number one ranked team in the state next year? Are they going to be top three ranked team in the state next year? Probably not, depending on who, maybe what guys come in or what guys step up. I we don't know that yet yeah. right now. But you know, you look at Independence. You know, with Braylon Braxton and what he's done over the last two years, he is poised, you know, to be the best player in that district if the, that core group of te- uh, teams remain. Because mm-hmm. you know, Miles Price is gone, those guys at the Colony are gone, Marvin Mims is gone. They're going to be all playing in the in the Big Twelve you know, next year. <laughs> you know, that opens the door for a, a guy like Braylon Braxton. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what Independence uh, can do next year and who they all get paired up with in, in district. Good job fighting through that too. You know, March score, you were able to <laughs> deal with that. You skip a beat, man. <laughs> <laughs> they, did, they failed the two-point conversion, though. Man, this Roger L. Freeman kid, this is the first time I've heard about him. He's a stud. Yeah, they're going to be chasing those, uh, those special teams snafus all game, it seems like. Hey, Hamlin's still in the lead, 14 <laughs> yeah. I'm good. For me, um, you know, we haven't had a chance to really talk a whole lot about Louisville ISD, you know, for this episode and whatnot. And that had, like, one of the cooler storylines and whatnot for a specific program for us this season with Marcus, you know, kind of coming out of the woodwork and having the year that they had. Oh, yeah, this is Marcus's best year in a long time. And you kind of got a sense that based on some of the uh, the upgrades that they had been making with their uh, their passing game and having a, a legitimate Division One signal caller and uh, Garrett Nussmeyer and then some of the receivers they had with J. Michael Sturdivant and, um, you know, Jane Robinson and whatnot, that this was a chance that they could like okay they might actually be able to get away from being a team that just runs the ball 70% of the time and they might actually have some semblance of a passing game and they wound up having one of the best offensive years of any program in the area and you know both Nussmeyer and Sturdivant are going to be back next season um, there's a lot of you know a lot of youth on those skill positions and I think that Marcus could be poised for another pretty uh, you know pretty strong run same for a Louisville team that I mean Louisville as we as we continue to uh, warm ourselves up to Louisville just being a routine or just a regular playoff team and whatnot Louisville had a really good season too and had one of their uh, one of their more explosive offensive years in some time, and there's a lot of continuity there with Taylor Green at quarterback, and then the receivers are Monty Winfield and Isaiah Stevens. Louisville's got a lot of good things to look forward to over there under uh, under head coach Michael Odell. Um, with uh, with Allen, you know it's um it's all about that quarterback position. You know it's it's like it's like going to the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. There's just a spotlight on that position like there is for you know for only a few programs in the state just because of some of the names that have occupied that post in uh, in recent years and. And, you know, Allen once again enters the offseason with, um, you know, with his quarterback having graduated. Raylan Sharp, uh, you know, finished off uh, his season in um, in impressive fashion. He was named the district MVP out of 9-6A. And whereas last year, you know, you had um, when Tisdale was getting ready to graduate, Grant Tisdale, you were able to see enough of Sharp and garbage time and whatnot. And you get to say, okay, like this, if this kid's going to take the reins, then Allen should still be in all right hands. I'm not entirely sure who the successor is at this all, point. All eyes on the transfer portal. <laughs> all eyes on the transfer portal. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lone Star and Allen would never be without a quarterback. They've always had a good one at Allen. They've always had a good one. Not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> we got receipts. Yeah, and they, um, you know, because they've had as far as just got you know kids that are on the roster right now. Hayden Showalter was the, uh, you know, was I guess their number three quarterback. Drew Siniglia is a Capel transfer. He kind of moved into that number two spot as the season went along. You know, Showalter got some some time. You know, whether it was in mop up duty or you know he was part of that committee effort with Siniglia in the game against Capel and whatnot. So he's at least seen the field a bit. But again, it's just there weren't a whole lot of like. Sharp at least got enough reps last year to where you felt like, okay, he was, and you can see he was getting Division One offers and whatnot, and like there's enough there to where, okay, like they're still going to be in good hands if they do in, indeed decide to roll with him. Now, the, the, the good thing is, is that whoever ends up getting that job is going to have just a load of talent around him to spread the ball around to you because you have their uh, your all district first team running back, Jordan Johnson, he's back. You've got the Green Twins, Blaine and Bryson, who are, you know, both going to, you know, play off in some Power Five college. You know, they're back as well. The defense loses just about everybody for the Second straight year, but that's that's just kind of par for the course for Corey Kane and his uh, and his staff is having to again build these defenses from scratch, and they do a great job with it. It's one of the luxuries of having almost seven thousand kids <laughs> at your school and whatnot. Um, so yes, but all eyes will be on how things shake out at quarterback and whatnot as Allen heads into an off season where, uh, yeah, a bit of an earlier off season than usual as they had, like, again had their run of state of seven straight state semifinal appearances come to an end. Um, with Plano ISD, like I said, it was. Um, you know, it was a, it was a tough year in terms of bottom line results for those uh, for those three schools. You know, with Plano, it looked like for a second like Plano was really in a really advantageous position for getting in the playoffs, and then just too many key losses for them to overcome, especially at the skill positions. They just could not get it done there. Um, you know, late in the season, and it's kind of a you know kind of leading then into next season, kind of a harbinger of things to come because all those kids that they were missing down the stretch were seniors. You know, so you had to see a team that uh, you know really really thrived on this rule, this explosive big. Play play a passing attack um, you know the Plano's best best year passing the football in you know at least you know six seven years and whatnot and now it's um you know you have Oliver Towns back the quarterback and their lead rusher Tylen Hines is back but the receiving core has been picked clean and there's a lot of positional groups on the defense that have been picked clean as well so they're going to have their share of, uh, of, you know, of new faces and whatnot they were a little young on the offensive line you'd hope that with some growth there that they're able to be a bit more solid in that in that area you know on um, this upcoming season you know and then and with East and West, um, you know, they were both teams that were uh, really young. I mean, East graduated all but two starters from that team that, you know, finished, uh, you know, made it to the playoffs the year before and whatnot. And, you know, they uh, that's a team that really had a, uh, had a real tough bout with some injuries. So a lot of those guys then that, um, you know, that got some experience last season, let's go Mart, um, you know, they're going to be uh, taking on greater roles this season. And then with Plano West, like, again, that was, again, one of the, uh, one of the cooler stories of the year was the, the fashion in which Plano Plano West snapped a 34-game losing streak, overcoming an 18-point deficit inside the final like four and a half minutes against Plano East to pull off just a uh, an improbable victory and uh, the kind of victory that I'm sure uh, head coach Tyler Sukup is not going to be forgetting anytime soon in the first. Yeah, the, uh, that's the Springboard Union next year. Oh yeah, and that's I mean yeah, there's obviously uh, that, just the program in general seemed to take a much more positive step this season. I mean just in terms of just general competitiveness, you could really sense kind of a change in things over there, which is obviously very very uh, you know long overdue for that program. Program because again, no nobody deserves to go zero and ten two consecutive seasons and whatnot. So it's good to see at least West getting things pointed in the right direction again and whatnot. Um, again, whether it's enough to make the playoffs and you know to have to you know not have to you know stomach the you know the hardships of a year like this. 
Realignment's going to be crucial. You know, we'll see. We'll see what region they wind up in. We'll see if, again, if a team like Prosper and Jesuit or whatnot are in that district. I mean, realignments, that's going to be a very, very pivotal day for a lot of the uh, the schools that we cover as far as laying the groundwork for what to expect over these next two years. And, um, and yeah, actually, you know what? Now that I think of it, you know, we're going to talk some football in spring, obviously. But when realignment happens in February, the first thing you're thinking is the ramifications on the football field. So we'll be sure to uh, obviously have some immediate feedback on all that. Um, Man, guys, that is all I can think of. If we, I feel like we've covered just about every crevice of our coverage area from this season. What a uh, so, what a fun year it was in, uh, in high school football coverage for us. It's a bummer we couldn't get anybody out to Arlington. You know what? There's always next year. So we'll see uh, We'll see what happens. So, um, yes, that'll do it for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. Um, we will be off next week for the holidays. So uh, happy holidays to you and yours. I appreciate you all for checking out this podcast. It just dawned on me, too, guys. This is the 200th episode Ooh. of the Star Local Media High School High School Sports Podcast. I meant to lead off with that. I didn't have it in front of me. It just Very now dawned on me. I have no notes in front of me for this episode. The first time I've worked without any notes and whatnot. So, um, but yes, we got here. Yeah, 200 episodes in the books, guys. So yes, thank you to everybody who has been along for the journey and whatnot. We're still going to keep. Shout out to Justin Thomas and yeah, Taylor Raglan and Tim Glaze and uh, all the other reporters that have done great work for us over the years that have moved on to uh, different pastures and whatnot. So, um, but yes, we will just keep this train going into 2020. We will talk some bad basketball when we get back. Uh, Folks, you enjoy the rest of your week. Happy holidays. We'll check y'all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.